0: Good morning, would you pray with me? God, thanks for a new day. Thank you for LCC. Thank you for the healthy expression of your body that it is. I pray that today as we reflect on our own walks in life, our ministry, our service to the community and to the world, Lord, that we be reminded of the weightiness of that. We think of Craig and Audrey and others that are overseas with them right now as they are seeking to join your kingdom and how you're moving in Europe right now. Lord, we know that our world is a broken place. We see it. And Lord, you invite us to participate with you. Lord, we thank you for that invitation. We thank you for that invitation through the life of your son. May we reflect on this this morning. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It is so good. To be with you this morning, my name is Brandon Faust, and um, we have had the privilege, our team at Wayfinders, uh, Giles and Allison Emery, some of you know them, uh, are on our team, and they've walked with some of your elders through some stuff in the last year and some different resources and things around discipleship, and we're uh, very excited about that. I was uh, I'm an ordained pastor. I served in local church ministry as a pastor for over 15 years, and then the last four or five years, we launched this nonprofit called Wayfinders we're really, we, we serve and equip everyday leaders and disciples, okay? Um, so if you want to learn more about that, that's great. We can chat afterwards, but that's what, that's not what this morning is about. Craig has become a friend and he said, hey, I'm going to be gone. And uh, he texted me this morning that he is preaching, I believe, at a Russian church through a translator this morning, right? And um, but uh Part of the work of our, our ministry is we get to serve individuals. We partner with churches, schools, and other nonprofits. We help people launch new ministries, new nonprofits, all those kinds of things. But most importantly, and then it'll be enough about me I love Jesus and I love my family. Here's a picture of my sweet family. There's my wife Lisa, our oldest Nora, Lucy is in the middle, and Liam just turned two on Thursday. But my poor little guy was puking on his birthday. We sang happy birthday, and then boy got sick. So they're not here this morning as he's continuing <laughs> to get healthy, and we, did, we want to share as part of the body of Christ, but we do not want to share those germs. Um, so what I love about this time of year, how many of you just love fall? Anybody with me? Yes. The fall, autumn season is yes. in full effect. Amen. The leaves are changing very quickly. The temperatures changed very quickly this week. Um, The cool crispness of the air. You could feel it this morning. Good football watching. I know some of you are probably really happy if you're a Notre Dame fan based on what happened last night. And then others of you who are Purdue and IU fans are very, very sad. (laughs) I am a Michigan Wolverine fan, so I'm very, very happy on how things are going. I grew up in Michigan. But what I love about fall is the good football watching, fall festivals, doles. Do you know what I'm talking about? Dole, that place is amazing. And then pumpkin spice flavored everything. Now, some of you, now stay with me here, the pumpkin spice latte. Have you you had one of these before? I, I like black coffee. I don't like anything in my coffee. But once in a while, if you have one of these, I understand why people like this so much. It's fantastic. If you've never had it before, fantastic. I know there's the new Seven Brew. I'm sure they've got something like that in town. But then the pumpkin spice people are getting out of control because now they have pumpkin spice Cheerios. I have not had these because they sound absolutely disgusting, but they're trying to even manipulate our children now into pumpkin spice. But the one pumpkin spice thing that I can't get away from is true pumpkin bread. My wife makes a pumpkin bread. Throw out all your Yankee candles. You get some fresh bread, bacon in the oven, this pumpkin chocolate bread. It is absolutely amazing. Now, all the pumpkin things are great, but truthfully, we do need to draw a line somewhere. Pumpkin candles, breads, coffees... This is where the line needs to be drawn. Pumpkin spice spam. Some of you are going to go looking for it. I know it. There's always one or two of you. But we got to draw a line somewhere. But in all seriousness, there's nothing quite like the beauty of fall. The aspen tree in the fall. Have you ever seen one of these? Throw that slide up there. Gorgeous. And it's not just the physical appearance of these trees that are interesting to me, although they are beautiful. It's more what's happening underground. Here's something about the aspen tree that I think is unique. It's unique in the sense that a singular aspen tree is not an organism by itself. But actually, aspen groves or clusters are singular organisms, which means there's a deep-embedded root system that shoots up through all the aspens together. An aspen grove is argued to be the largest living organism on the planet. A little National Geographic fact for you today. In Utah, there is a grove of aspen trees consisting of a calculated 47,000 tree trunks covering 106 acres, and it's calculated to weigh 13 million pounds as a singular organism. You see, aspens grow as a community. They are interconnected by their roots, and they share nutrients and resources to support each other now this is an image of the body of Christ All right. this is an image of the church more on this later but I want you to keep this in mind as we seek to answer this question today a question that everyone asks themselves at various points in their life I don't care if you're 13 15 27 or 72 we ask this question what is my purpose what am I here for what am I here on earth to do this week? What am I supposed to be doing with this one life I have to steward? And we're going to spend and frame our time around Ephesians 4. Because Ephesians 4.12 makes it very clear. Here is what we are to participate in as the body of Christ. To equip his people for works of service. All right. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Okay. I know there's a lot of talk, there's this word discipleship, we're going to unpack a little bit today, but that is the invitation for all of us. And no one gets to graduate from the school of discipleship. I don't care if you're 99 and have led every Bible study on the planet, you still have a role to play to be discipled and to be discipling somebody else, okay? And you're not too young either. When I was 13, anybody 13 in here, 13 year olds? Yeah. Yeah. When I was 13, I had two friends who prayed for me every day. I didn't know that for two years. Dorito eating, Mountain Dew burping, 12 and 13-year-old boys praying for me every day, every day for two years. Didn't know it. They'd get together at school every day. Those friends helped lead me to Christ when I was 15 years old. So don't tell me a 13-year-old doesn't know how to disciple somebody. Don't tell me that a 72-year-old has it all figured out, because let's move together in the way of discipleship. Amen. And so as we look at God's Word today, we're going to look at what purpose is, and there's a Latin phrase that maybe you've heard, imago Dei, yep. imago Dei, to be made in the image and the likeness of God. Theologian Anthony Hakama says, the most, distinctive fi- the most distinctive feature of the biblical understanding of man is the teaching that humankind has been created in the image of God. God made us differently than the animals or any other created thing. Genesis 1:26 and 27 says this. Then God said, "Let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground." So, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Amen. This passage means, as human beings, we get the unique opportunity and privilege that no other aspect of creation gets to bear a unique reflection in a unique way of the Lord. Come on. Come on. C.S. Lewis says on human beings in the weight of glory, there are no ordinary people. You have never... Talk to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. They'll fail. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. It's a reminder that each person in this room today, each person in our neighborhood, each person in our workplace that we come in contact with was made for a purpose by the Lord. Now, they maybe haven't discovered that yet. Maybe you see the fruit of their life or the lack of fruit in their life that shows that they haven't really found that purpose, but what would be said of you? Would it be known that you you see yourselves as made in the image of God, how you carry yourselves, how you talk about things, how you engage in the topics of the day, that we are made to be in relationship with Jesus, to have an abundant life of walking with him, each and every person, that's the story for them as well. That's the intention that the Lord has for them, that God has made you on purpose and for a purpose. You see, I want to say this, and I don't want to be careful how I say this, but purpose is shared, but it is not generic. I think a lot of times we can, we know, it's usually up on the wall at a church somewhere, go make disciples, right? Love God, love others, make disciples. And That's true. Absolutely, at the heart of what we are to do, to be in relationship with Jesus, to invite other people to him, right? To go and make disciples. That has stood for 2,000 some years, right? But I think we use it as an excuse sometimes to, to get involved in the mission of Jesus, to get involved in discipling people because, well, I'm not a trained pastor or I'm not educated enough or we think I'm not outgoing enough or I don't have so much to give to anybody, or I don't know the Bible well enough. It is a shared purpose that we have as believers in Christ, but how we express that can be very unique. The way in which you live and breathe and work in this sphere of influence you have is different than mine. It's different than each other. It's different than even your spouse. So how are you expressing uniquely the shared purpose of loving God, loving neighbor, and making disciples? Well, we're going to start from this like macro, wide lens view, and I want us to look at the picture of an ocean. Purpose is shared. It's vast. It's wide. It's very known. We can take rest in peace knowing that the target of our purpose is to love God, yes. to worship Him to love our neighbor. We can take peace knowing that. If someone says, what's your purpose? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That, everything points back to that. Everything points back to that. But scripture highlights this common purpose that we share as believers in Christ. And I just want to tell you, I know that we've often heard these verses. I have preached these verses so many times. Go deep dive in the Greek and all that stuff. I was a Bible professor at a university. But obeying these things and walking them out is a totally different thing. Yes. We haven't learned anything until we live it. Right. And so we're going to be really practical today. And I know, I know, I remember when I would have a substitute teacher in school, you're like, I'm going to get away with one today. Craig, made sh- Craig told me, don't let him get away with one today. Okay? Okay. Love God and love others. Mark 12, 28 through 31. You maybe have heard this a thousand times. Let it wash over you fresh again. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? He's trying to get one over on Jesus, trying to trick him, trying to humiliate him even. The most important one, Jesus answered. Don't you love that? That little remark it's like a question you might ask to your kids. What's the most important thing? Well, the most important one, which is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And what Jesus is reminding them of here is the simplicity Of the mission. Doesn't mean it's easy, but the simplicity, we overcomplicate it, we think we need all the fancy words and all this. No, 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 no. Are you gonna obey it or not? It's simple, it doesn't mean it's not easy. Loving neighbor is not easy, but it is simple. Imagine what would happen in schools, in your workplace, in your house, at Thanksgiving, in your communities. If we did this well, might the world look a little different? Some of you are doing this faithfully and well. Keep going, keep inviting people along with you. And what's amazing about this, what Jesus spells out here, is that it is broad, it is vast, it is simple, it is shared. It's an invitation for us all as we express it in our unique context. And the second is this make disciples. No tricks, not pulling punches here. A disciple is a learner, not a learner here. In our Western world, we think, uh, memorize the questions that are going to be on the test, get the answers right, dump out that information, and move on. on. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? We retain information, and getting information can be wonderful. How, How are you living it out? How are you taking steps into that? For Christians, we want to try to catch or embody what Jesus taught, and this is a core teaching of the church and of Jesus, but often we have no clue what to do with this in everyday life. To set the scene, you know, Jesus is, has now lived this sinless life, walked on the earth for about 33 years. He's died on the cross. He was humiliated on the cross, rose again victorious, and now he's here on the earth once again and he's appearing to his disciples and other people, and he's teaching. And now he gathers his closest to friends, his disciples, and he has some parting words for them as he's about to ascend back into heaven. These are very familiar. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A lot of times when we mention this verse, we stop there. But he says, and teaching them, mm-hmm. teaching them with your life to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is bringing the heat in on this one. Not some casual statement. All authority is mine. I've conquered sin and death forever. These are my parting words. Do you, have you ever had parting words for Somebody. Or from, or from somebody, maybe a coach, maybe a loved one who is about to pass away, you hold on to those last words, don't you? You lean in when those words, and Jesus saying, lean in now to his disciples, and he allows us to, to have an ear in the room through the, the beauty of scripture, an invitation to say, okay, everybody at LCC, in October, yes. fall break is around, we're ready to chat. What does it mean for you? to make disciples right now. This is a pivotal moment. And this means to show people by investing in their lives, by discipling them the way in the goodness of Jesus. This is not just Craig's job, or the staff at LCC, or the super spiritual volunteers who get up early to make it all happen. This is the special lifelong mission that God invites us all into. You see, disciple making by God's grace preserves and produces the next generation of the church and it has for 2,000 some years. And we get to participate in that. We get an invitation at the table despite our brokenness to that. It's easy, or it's not easy, but it's simple. So if you know one thing about God, you teach that to somebody else. Rod did that during communion today. Someone shared something with him, and now he gave it to us today, all right? How many times, if you know one thing about God, I studied a church planting movement in India. Do you know what they said? B-Y-O-T. What does that mean? Did I miss a cultural cue? Bring your own testimony. Yes. Not, not just when you came to know Christ and had that transformation for some of you 20, 30, 40 years ago or two years ago. What's your testimony this week? If we showed up in our, our small our life groups or showed up in an education hour or showed up for coffee with a friend, BYOT, what would your testimony be this week? Would you have one? Would you have something to share of God's goodness? Would you have a story to share of how he's moving, how you're watching him move in your life? BYOT. I think if you're anything like me, when I was sitting in India and these regional church planting leaders are sitting together for their weekly meeting, and they're like, share your testimony. Well, I wanted to go to something 20 years ago. Do you know why? It's a lot more comfortable for me to share that. Because if you want me to bring a testimony this week, that means I need to be living something out. I need to have substance in my life this week. And so I want to remind us that when we live out this purpose of loving God and loving neighbor, we have the opportunity to bring a testimony, to, to bring witness to the glory of God and to share that with other people. So we've got the macro picture. You all know this, right? Love God, love others, make disciples. But this is where it gets tricky. Purpose is shared, but it's uniquely expressed. How we uniquely express our purpose is, is unique to each of us. It's kind of like a stream, if you will. You know, if it, it ultimately wants to flow from that, that, that purpose That ocean of purpose that the Lord gives us to love God, love others, make disciples, but these streams, these unique expressions and seasons of our lives to live out our calling, to live out our purpose. And there's two people I want us to look at in Scripture Nehemiah and Paul. They have two different types of calling. And I think this sometimes helps us maybe get some handles and grasp ways that, well, I used to know my purpose and calling, but maybe I'm recently retired. Or maybe I had a a job that felt very purposeful, now that job's gone away. Or I used to volunteer in this ministry, but then a life thing happened. Or I used to do this in a community, but stage of life just got crazy. My, my hope is that we would kind of look at the story of Nehemiah and Paul to help us reframe and revisit ways that the Lord might be speaking to us today. A Nehemiah calling asked this question, Are you sure, God? You've maybe been there before where you feel this nudge from the Lord He's like, move, take a job, do this, say something to this person here, reach out to this classmate. When you think about the story of Nehemiah, we're not, we don't have time to go into the deep dive of Nehemiah, but in the Old Testament, he was a slave and cupbearer to the Persian king. He had to be trusted by the king and the officials of the day, but he felt a nudge and he felt the Lord speaking to him to go back home and to lead the charge to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Nehemiah did not have a construction background. Nehemiah was not a project manager. You know what Nehemiah did? He stood there or sat there every day and tasted food and wine and tried not to die. Now he's like, you want me to go build this? This is controversial. This could upset the king, but God made it clear that even though Nehemiah had no clue how that he was supposed to go do this. This was a unique call a unique way, a unique plan for Nehemiah. And I've seen this in people's lives before, where they feel a nudge towards a certain city or go back to their hometown or go on a missions trip or to change careers or to volunteer or start some sort of ministry in the neighborhood that they don't have a lot of experience with, but they can't shake it. There's two ladies that I know, mothers. They're in their 50s who dealt with the loss of children to addiction. They didn't know how to lead a group. They weren't the experts in addiction recovery. They didn't have a college education. They didn't know how to start a nonprofit, but they were called to it. And they started a small and simple ministry for mothers who had experienced loss due to addiction. God called them to do something and and charted a path for them that they could never imagine. They've reached countless families. A Nehemiah call may come out of left field, but the clear calling doesn't leave you. This clear purpose and how to express it into the world to love God and love others and make disciples becomes very evident. And then there's some of us where maybe it's more of like a Paul calling past skills and experiences that we finally surrender to Jesus. You know, before Paul was a follower of Jesus, He was a, I know we, you know, Paul held the coats of Christians and all, but Paul was a respected man. Paul was a feared man. Paul was thought of highly amongst various people groups. He was educated. He was a philosopher, lawyer, religious leader, diverse experiences, cross-cultural experiences in various cities, spoke several languages, leadership ability, writing and speaking abilities, great influence. And he has a radical encounter with Jesus. And now instead of walking away from all of his unique skills and experiences, God calls him to surrender them to his feet, unto the lordship of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So sometimes your calling doesn't mean drop all the things that you had in your hands before, but drop them before the throne room of God. Drop them at his feet and say, Lord, these are yours to use and surrender. And guess what? What? God used Paul and his gift of world-class communication to write half of the New Testament, his diverse background to reach Jews and Gentile, his influence and leadership to reach people no one else could for Christ. I have a friend named Phil. Uh, Phil, Phil's sister was born with Down syndrome and a congenital heart defect, multiple procedures. And as they grew older, Phil became a financial planner in his career. And started to help their family plan for all kinds of scenarios, using what he has in hand, to serve his family. He realized that this was a great need, not just for his family, but for families with similar backgrounds, similar stories. And so he starts helping other families in similar circumstances. And then pretty soon, he and his wife have started an organization that now does this. And they help churches develop ministries to better serve families with with young and adult children with special needs he took his skills of financial planning what he already had in hand surrendered it to the lordship of jesus and now his unique family story has been impacted and those with a similar story you might not need to find a new gift or a new thing to do some of us you're already tired thinking about the calendar you're already tired about thinking all the things you have to do to get a new skill or to do this or do that but to finally surrender what God has maybe already put into your hands. Skills of accounting, teaching, hospitality, your ability to organize, event planning, nurturing, repairing cars, house projects, not only for the gain of yourself or of a business or a nonprofit or a church, but to serve others. Maybe inside the walls of the church, outside the walls of the church. Would you consider This this question here, what has God already put into your hands? Or previous experiences that need to be surrendered to his lordship and direction? What's that area of your life that you've just said, you know what, This, this part is mine. God, you don't get to impact this. You don't get to disturb this part of my life or this part of my career or how I spend my time or how I vacation or how we spend Christmas. This one really convicted me. Someone in our network that we help them with launch a ministry, they serve refugee families. And they have kids themselves, young kids, school-age kids, right? They tutor and mentor these kids every Wednesday from refugee families and then invited them to their house on Christmas Day. I don't know about you, I don't want to see anybody but my family on Christmas Day. I don't want anybody to interrupt my traditions I don't want any inconveniences. As I celebrate the birth of our Lord, it's it's about me. Super spiritual. You're like, wow, this guy's talking to us. That's great. But you know what I'm talking about. And these people were just like, oh, yeah, we spent the whole day with this this Muslim family and uh, sat around the table. They participated in what we share and celebrate on Christmas Day. And what you celebrate on Christmas Day, would it it speak of the gospel at all? Now, there's nothing wrong with a good family dinner, but if a Muslim family came into your house, would they know what it's about? And our friends sacrifice this day. They do this stuff regularly. It's inspiring to me. The gospel saturation and focus, it's not divided in their life. Their kids participate in it. On the day that's supposed to be ours as a family, they share it with others. Go figure, on Christmas Day, when it's the day of good news. So Paul, whom we just talked about, he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesians. <coughs> Excuse me, called the book of Ephesians. Um, the, the church at Ephesus. And he says, so Christ gave himself, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And Ephesians 4.12 says this, to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Jesus embodied all five aspects of ministry, and he commissioned, and Paul's reminding the church that Jesus gave this ministry to us to participate in. People who are following Jesus, it says apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, I realize some of that language seems kind of spooky and weird and, and untraditional in our context, but as we boil it down, all that it's really saying is that all of these are necessary for the church. Amen. All of these comprise the church. And this first one, apostles, it's this word uh, pioneering, pioneering, a pioneering function. In Greek, the term literally means sent one yeah. now i want to be very clear there is a theological conversation around the office of apostle we're not talking about that here those were people who were chosen by jesus to be the first disciples to take the gospel into new areas but but the pioneering function of the church means somewhere somehow in the you know 40 year celebration this year for lcc right somewhere somehow someone decided to start Lebanon Christian Church in the 80s, right? Someone had that pioneering church planting multiplication mindset. And so for some of us, that pioneering gift is not just for your business, right? That pioneering gift for you to to start things might be to do something good for the kingdom like our friend Phil. Maybe it's doing something in your neighborhood. Maybe it's starting a baseball team in an area of town that needs it for the sake of the gospel, And Jesus was the greatest sent one, sent here to the earth to to call people back to himself. These pioneering people, they ensure that faith is transmitted from one context. The generational gaps in our world are, are very small now, the years. They used to be decades. Now it's like a year and a half is a gap between generations with the rapid pace of technology. So we need to ensure that we are playing our part to disciple the next generation Right to transmit the gospel from one generation to the next. Then there's prophets or exhorters, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, prophets were kind of foretelling these things of what God was gonna do through Jesus, through the Messiah. Now, what we're talking about in this context here is more of an exhorter, an exhorter, someone who strongly encourages. People who hold to God's word so tightly, they are particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. They bring correction and challenge to the dominant assumptions in culture. They question the status quo, often our creatives or musicians or really involved in the community initiatives. These voices help us to make sure that we don't run ahead of God's will, plans, or timing. And then we have the evangelists or the connectors. These people recruit. They are infectious, right? They're often extroverted. They're includers. They bring people along with them. They are consumed with bringing the outsider in. You know, Jesus embodied this in the parable where the shepherd leaves the other 99 sheep for the one. Then there's the shepherds or the nurturers who seek to nurture and protect. John 10 tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd. He cared for, loved, and spent time with his disciples. They're caregivers of the community. They focus on the protection and the spiritual maturity of God's flock. These are often your life group leaders, right? People who want to stay with people. And then lastly, the teachers and guardians, where they understand and explain. Jesus was a masterful teacher. Whether the 5,000, the 120, the 12 in a room, or three. Communicators of God's truth and wisdom, they help others remain biblically grounded to better discern God's will. And that doesn't mean it has to be up on a platform. It can be in the living room, in a coffee shop, in a classroom. These people act like a guard or a gate for truth. And you can dive into these five critical functions of the church. This is just to serve as a primer or a launching point, to get back into Ephesians 4 and to explore which of these really resonates with me. Uh, There's some different online assessments. You, You gotta be careful with those a little bit so it's not too prescriptive. But to say, which of these in this season of my life is a way that God might be beckoning me to participate in his kingdom. And so I want you to ask this question of yourself as we begin to wrap up here. What is one experience, either positive or negative in your life, that allows you or could allow you to have influence with a certain group or community of people? You know, when I think about my own story, I played soccer in high school and in college. I played briefly overseas. That created, it was a great experience for me. Great coaches, great teammates, and it paved the way for me to coach varsity soccer for like 10 years, and now I get to coach my kids, youth teams, and all that stuff. That's a way which we as a family build relationships. That's a way that we get to know families in the community. We've been doing that for a long time. It's a way that we create an environment to to love on people, to share a common interest, and then to disciple them intentionally. But then there's the negative experiences that you may have in your life. Our daughter, our oldest, Nora, had a, um, she battled for her life this summer. Super healthy, scored five goals in a, a soccer game, two days later, collapses mysterious illness, we know what it is now. She battled something called HLH, um, which typically requires like six weeks of, of chemo uh, afterwards. she's in a children's hospital. I mean, it was grim. She battled for her life. The Lord saved our daughter's life. Amen. She hasn't received treatment to this day. Amen. That experience and sharing that experience with others on a hematology oncology floor at Riley Children's Hospital changes you. Amen. It changes you. There's an urgency now to life, right, Right. That is intensified. I'm a pretty intense guy to begin with, but it intensifies your experience. The Lord, although that experience, I would never want that or wish that on anybody else, the Lord put that in our life, and now there's something for us to do with that experience. He's not going to waste that experience. There's a redemptive thread, and we're, we're walking with some families who are going through similar situations now how can whatever the experience is for you, whether positive or negative, be used and redeemed to show the love of God, neighbor, and make disciples? As we come back to this picture of an aspen tree, we said that the aspen grove is the largest living organism in the world and the aspens grow as a community. They're interconnected by their roots and they share nutrients and resources to support each other. Like the aspen tree, how can you live out your purpose to pass on nutrients that you've received from God's word and his truth into the community to serve others in this local church body and in this community to fulfill your unique calling in this world. So I want to encourage you to know your purpose. Walk in it this week. We can rest assured that if if we're hitting the target of loving God and loving others and making disciples, that we're on track. Think about maybe that five-fold ministry gifting from Ephesians 4. Which one of them resonates with you, that that pioneer apostle, that exhorter prophetic, connector evangelist, nurturer shepherd, guardian teacher? Purpose is shared. We get to share in that. We get to share in the mission of God and get to share in the kingdom of God together, but it's not generic. You may already be living out this purpose. Keep going. But some of you might just be scratching the surface of what God's inviting you into, or God's inviting you to consider what... Expressing purpose uniquely looks like in the season ahead. And it might be the Paul type of calling, things that are already in your hands in your life, and it might be the Nehemiah type calling where you just feel this pull to go do something courageous that doesn't make any sense. May you have the courage and know that God's with you and that there's a part for you to play in his kingdom so that when it's said of LCC, that to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be be built up until we reach all unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure in the fullness of Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this wonderful expression of your body, Lord, here at Lebanon Christian Church. I pray, Lord, that those who are wrestling through, what does it mean to build up the body? What does it mean to grow into maturity? What does it mean to express the mission of Jesus in my life, in my context? May we rest assured, knowing that if we are loving you and loving neighbor and making disciples, that we're on target. Lord, I pray that that truth would wash over us, that we can rest in that. But I also pray, Lord, that we would be compelled to move in a unique way that you've called us to in this season. Lord, that we would not just throw our hands up and live a comfortable life, Lord, but that we would live a life of worship, that compels us to, to reach the lost, to disciple faithfully, and to journey with people, Lord. God, we love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his precious gift on the cross, his victory over sin and death forevermore, so that we can live free and abundant in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.